0: So, you know, uh, a few times we uh, we talked about what is the gospel and uh, did some declaration. I'm going to get back to that, probably starting next week. But uh, this is the gospel, the gospel that the, the, the Lord has opened the door to the Father, has taken care of everything that we could possibly use as an excuse to stay separate and uh, invited us back into relationship. Baxter um, Kruger says it this way on his... Uh, Come kind of tagline thing. He says, the good news is not that you can invite Jesus into your heart, but that he's invited you into his and into his life with the Father. And uh, the journey that we're on is recognizing the reality of that and just becoming more of who we are. Letting the way of our being become the, or letting the truth of our being become the way of our being. So anyway, praise God. Um, well, we're certainly going to receive offering. There's a little Oh, there it is it's back. Is that? Yeah, that's it. It's back by the coffee thing. I'm really preoccupied with that. I don't even know where to add. It's back by the coffee thing. I want to bless you guys financially, uh, in, in your area of finances. I want to bless you in your area of service. I want you to find the niche in life that you were made. You were made to have. How many of you guys know who Susan Boyle is? So Susan Boyle has a new album out called Ten. And uh, if you have Amazon Music or, I mean, I'd recommend getting it. She sings a lot of great songs. She does sing the song that she auditioned with and became famous for, which was uh, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis. But uh, she also, this album also has What a Wonderful World, and it has Beatles song on it. It's got a bunch of stuff. But she finished with one that I hadn't heard before. Had you heard the last song? But the the punchline of that song is... uh, now I'm who I was born to be. And when you think about her journey, and that it, it just is so poignant and so powerful. And uh, that, is the, that is the ongoing effort of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is to make sure that we come to understand and live and enjoy the blessing and freedom of who we were supposed to be. So anyway, I'd really encourage you to do that. And that's what I want to pray. So it's not just about finance; it's about coming into our own. It's about being who we're supposed to be. It's the whole thing. So, Father, I thank you that you don't segment our lives up into secular and sacred. You don't break out our finances. This is a special place of either blessing or, or cursing. You don't uh, withhold anything from us. How could you, Lord? You gave your own son. Why would you withhold anything else that is the fruit of his victory? And so I pray a financial blessing. I pray jobs and, and uh resources and wisdom. I pray a relationship blessing over people that they would meet the new people and delight in the friendships that their marriages would be strong that their business relationships would be strong that their families would be strong between children and parents and parents and children and siblings. I pray father that their service to you would be integrated in every aspect of their life and that it would be seamless and not segmented into secular and sacred but just seamless that the smile that begins in one arena would continue to the other. And the laughter that starts in one area of our lives would fill the others. So just make us whole. Bring us into that wholeness that you've made us. In Jesus' name, I speak this blessing over you guys. Amen. Uh, Cool. All right. Well, I have a lot of stuff up here. Don't be alarmed. I, uh, as I said earlier, uh, at the beginning, I didn't realize it was Father's Day weekend until a couple days ago. And as I was kicking around, preparing for the message and stuff, I um, was so thankful it was, because it was kind of like that episode when we we were first gonna start talking about the heart. I thought, oh, this would be easy. And there's just a ton about it. So today is gonna be a little bit of an introduction, but I also wanna catch up a tiny bit. I was gone last week, and I want to thank Paul. I finally did get a hold of that message in its entirety. It was fantastic. Uh, you know, the fundamentals of union that Paul talked about are life-transforming, if you'll let them get a hold of you. Uh, and if you, if you continue to ask the Holy Spirit to show you or warn you or put a, a buzzer in your head when you start thinking in terms of separation or from separation, he'll do it, and it'll change your life. So, anyhow, uh, thank you, Paul, very much. And uh, so I was gone last week up to Portland, and I imagine most of you know, and I was at a place called uh, uh, Open Table Conference at Warner Pacific University, and there were a number of people that I really respect that were there kind of sharing and teaching. And then I was overwhelmed, really, by the amazing people that I didn't know, that I got to know, people from all over the world that are on a journey to discover and live in, Union and live in the goodness of God and understand it. So it's really very special and some of them we're going to see there's a group in um, I don't see them here this morning, but there is a group in uh, Outside of Grand Junction, Colorado that has been on just the longest journey you could imagine They started in Worldwide Church of God one of them was a pastor in worldwide Church of God when that church converted from the cult-like status that it had under Garner Armstrong into uh, a grace church called Grace Fellowship International and and um, Baxter Kruger was one of the kind of instrumental guys in helping them sort out their theology. So this gentleman, Dave, had known Baxter for 12 years and walked through everything. And if you can imagine coming out of an utterly legalistic where you were you were encouraged and obligated to judge every single thing, everything you said, everything anybody else said, everything you did, everything anybody else did, to get from there to the freedom there is in Christ, it, it was just, is just brilliant and so they're they're a small group over there and they were super excited about being able to join us on zoom and they want to make a little caravan over here just so they can meet us face to face and uh so that that's it was really wonderful they're they're just super sweet people very enthusiastic for the lord and then i met some other folks from perth australia i don't think they're coming but uh they may join us on zoom i don't know what the time zone difference is but uh it's about 15 hours 16? Okay, cool. So we'll figure that one out. And uh, anyhow, it was was a wonderful time. There were tons and tons of amazing things said. One of the things that that I felt like the Lord sort of spoke to me about uh, was, you know, as a missional sort of statement, is if the gospel, one speaker said this, if the gospel doesn't blow your mind, astonish your heart, and take your breath away, you actually aren't thinking about it or declaring it the way it is. And uh, that sounds terribly subjective, and I'm super excited about making progress toward that end in our lives, uh, because I think that's the truth. I think it's the truth. So coming back, uh, I wanted to share a story with you that I heard, because there was a bunch of them that I heard, but this one was just outrageous. And then when I realized, it was Father's Day, uh, because I was planning on doing the story anyway, just telling it, but when I realized it, I realized something that is absolutely true, and that's when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. But I, I know it's one of those things we're not conditioned to think about. Very often, uh, for instance, Paul Young, uh, you know, he said the big conversion in his life was when he went to, uh, came to a point of understanding where God was good and, and a father instead of Gandalf with a bad attitude. And so there's all kinds of imagery that we're fighting against in our culture about that. And I think the story will help. But to, to root it in the Father's uh, issue, I want to get started. Uh, just briefly. So, I want us to uh, know the Father who Jesus reveals. And I have a grammar question. Is whom appropriate there? Does anybody know? Yes. Okay, thank you. All right, so Jesus was and Jesus says We're only going to look at a couple passages of Scripture. This is out of the ESV. So, this is John 1:1-4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay? Now, this is a familiar passage for us. We talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. I think about it even more. Um, We're going to look at one more further down in chapter 1. But I want you to notice something. Uh, First of all, we know who the word was. That's Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, uh, when, when there's a recurring emphasis that way, without it being just a repetition, in other words, it's not like holy, holy, holy. There's, it's said differently. It's done for an emphasis. And so I want us to honor what John was intending to write here, and what I think the Holy Spirit was inspiring, is that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So somebody, uh, and you can just yell this out, and I'll repeat it so we don't have to, because it's just like single word answers. Uh, what are some things that were made by him and everything, as a part of all things? Trees. Trees. Who? Heaven and earth. Richard. Richard was made by him. People, that, animals. The, the rules, the laws, all the other things. What would you say, Vicky or uh, Laurel? All things. There we go. Laurel's trying to bring this to an end. All things. All things. All right. So uh, I, I, I don't know if this is true, and I'm not projecting that it is necessarily, but I suspect it's true because I know I catch myself thinking this way and, and making a glaring omission that Richard corrected and that Ronnie followed up on. All things include us. Now, we have a a much more robust and diverse relationship that we can learn to grow into and talk to, but when it says that all things were made through him, that includes us. That includes us, everything that was made, everything that's made. All things is everything. Everything. All things is everything, says Ray. And that's true. It is. Now, not everybody agrees with that, Um, but because all is a complicated uh, word apparently so all things were made all right so you got that in mind right all right now come down come down this is okay you got that right all things were made by him all right so not only did jesus come but jesus illuminated our destiny and that destiny is children or sons of god so this is further down the chapter the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world that's the word right He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Okay? The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own uh, people did not receive him. Now, for a long time in my theology, my view was so narrow that I thought that meant he came to the Jews, and they didn't recognize him, so then he went to Gentiles. That doesn't what it means at all. It means he came to us, to people. He came to people, and it didn't recognize. Maybe it also means he came to creation, and that could be, and I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, could be an explanation of why the fig tree incident happened. But nevertheless, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, now we've all read that, and I think we all believe it. Uh, I have also had that part, this part down here, uh, but to all who did receive him to believe in his name, I've had that in my understanding for years and years as an exclusive, a separating kind of situation. Uh, I don't believe that anymore, uh, and I don't think it needs to be read that way. But I do want to point out something about this. Let me go back. Okay, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was us. That's us, okay? So then in him was life. The life was the light of man. Now he came to his own. His own didn't uh, receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become what? Children. All right, now I never saw this before I was looking to see about the Father being revealed in Jesus the revelation that John gives us focuses on the reality that receiving and believing in Jesus introduces God to us the God that he was with from the beginning face to face and is as father I never saw that before but the right to become children of God. And so all of a sudden, as we begin to exercise that authority, as we begin to exercise that right by receiving and believing in Jesus, we immediately are put in relationship with God as something that nobody had been before. Because remember, Jesus got in all kinds of trouble for it when he was declaring God as Father. We are put in relationship with God as Father. So now, no matter what we think, and that's why I was so struck by this Revelation passage this morning, because I have never before in my life thought when reading that passage in Revelation that that's my father. I don't know why. Maybe you have, but I hadn't. The imagery of father for me, even when I did get rid of Gandalf with a bad attitude, never included... The one seated on the throne with peals of thunder and the sea of glass and all that kind of stuff. And if, if, if it did for you, bless you for that and go with that. But this is the thrust of the gospel, the beginning of the cosmos, the sending of the word of, uh, of the Father was so that we could know God as Father. Make sense? Okay. Uh, here's 14. So Jesus became and he made our Father known. Uh, I, I've got these on the ESV, but I'm going to explain a couple things here. So, and the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. All right, now "among us" is an interesting word. Uh, this this word is uh, eknoein en hemein, and if you it, so, "among us" that phrase. I didn't have the line far enough. So this phrase "among us" is uh, eknoein en hemein. This is a derivative of the words ginosko, okay, and so it means. This this translation isn't bad. Uh, Others say "tented" or "tabernacled," Um, but the point is, it's more than just a casual being near. It literally means he has come. And then here's my favorite little word in the Bible: "Ain." Having listened to me ramble for a while, some of you, what does, what is the basic meaning of the Greek word ain? In. In. So what this could say is the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled. echinosin is the word dwelt. Not among, but in. In us. And I think there's something to be gained by understanding that translation if we think of the bigger picture of him coming and doing his thing. So anyway, uh, so he, he dwelt in us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here we go again. The incarnation itself is a direct, focused introduction to the Father and to our sonship. I've never seen it quite as strong as this. Here's verse 18. No one... Everybody raise your hand if, uh, if you're part of no one, okay? Now, I don't know how to deal with that with visions we see in Ascension and things like that, but it says no one has ever seen God, the only God who is, and again, what is his designation? It's the son out of the bosom of the father or at the father's side, out of the bosoms. what some of the other trans. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. All right, the word for that entire phrase, has made him known, is uh, exegomai. And it it, it means to make something fully known by careful explanation or by clear revelation. To make it fully and clearly known. It's the word we get the biblical study term exegesis from, uh, meaning to completely pull all the details out and understand what's going on. Exegomai is to make something fully known by carefully explaining. So my mind now would run up to Hebrews chapter 1 where it says, In times past, in various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. And it even adds subs- uh, substance to that concept of in Sun ease that we talked about a few a while ago. In other words, he spoke to us from this one who was by the Father's side. He spoke to us by the one who in one way or another actually is sort of a, I don't know how to put this because I'm going to say it wrong no matter what. The reason that the Father exists as a person in the Trinity is because he has a son. And the reason the Son exists as a son, in other words, the reason the Father exists as Father is because he has a son. And the reason the Son exists as Son is because he has a father. And the reason that they both exist as spirits because they have a spirit, see what I'm saying? So this is hugely significant. So the very one, and now we talked about it uh, earlier in Colossians where it says that it pleased him that uh, uh, the fullness of deity in bodily form would dwell in Jesus, or the fullness of deity would dwell in Jesus in bodily form. So we looked at it kind of like an abstract doctrine when we had our little icon. But this is more than abstract; this is organic or ontological is the word i, I had him throwing big words at me up there too, and so it was kind of fun and uh, but ontological means as of the essence in the core of a, of a being, and in the core of his being, Jesus is what permits <laughs> the the Trinity to have a father and I'm sure I'm butchering that God forgive me uh, but There's all I'm saying is there's more there. It's not just like a casual thing It's something that proceeds out of and they they've fought wars over as a matter of fact split the church from east to west With a soliloquy over that very thing, but it's a special deal So does that make sense that when Jesus came? I've never seen it before but when he came one of the primary reasons he came was that he could identify the sons of God and Could reveal the father all right So here's the next section of scripture before I get into the story this is in John eight chapter twenty seven or um, chapter eight verse twenty seven, and this is Kenneth Wheat's translation. I just thought he did a good job of it. So, he's talking here, and he says, "They did not understand that he was speaking to them concerning the Father." All right. Now, the context is when Jesus is going back about the Pharisees, and he's showing them their works, and and uh, you know which works are you stoning for, and, and and well, I'm not stoning for any works, but you name God as your Father, and it's also that section, specifically that section, where he says. The scripture says, and you are God's, and the scripture can't be broken. So why are you gonna stone me for saying that I'm the son of God? So that's what he said. And his, his designation was that. That implied fatherhood, implied sonship, it implied family, relationship. And so Jesus was talking to him in that context of that conversation. And it says they did not understand that he was speaking to them concerning the father. Then Jesus said, whenever you lift up the son of man, Then you shall come to perceive that I am. Now, where does your mind go when Jesus says that? Back to the burning bush, back to the designation of God before Moses, back to the rescue of the the children, the people, the children of Israel, the people of God. So the Father is the one that was there being fully revealed in that manifestation. Was that a theophany? Was that Jesus, a Christophany? I don't know, but what I know is there's never anywhere in the scripture that you escape Jesus revealing the Father. Okay? So Jesus said, whenever you lift up the Son of Man, then you should come to perceive that I am, and that of myself I do nothing. All right, now this is important. I want, kind of like Ray reminded us that all means everything, I want us to understand and, and at least position your heart to agree with the truth of this in its simple form. And that of myself I do nothing. So what does Jesus do of himself? Nothing. Okay. Um, But even as the father taught me these things I am speaking. And he who sent me is with me. He did not leave me alone because I always am doing the things that are pleasing to him. Now you could read that last verse 29 as a service oriented thing where Jesus discerns what the father wants to do and then does it obediently. But if you couple it up here that I do nothing Of myself then we get to the next one here and we we start to see uh, at the end of chapter 4 12 of of John Jesus cried out and said he who believes in me does not believe in me but in him who sent me so in the his union and his revelation of the father is so thorough that when we interact with him we literally are interacting with the father or when, the, when he's interacting with us, he's interacting, the father's interacting with us. And what I want you to just see is that it, it, this is so built in. Then verse 45, he who sees me, sees the one who sent me. He repeats it again. So you're going, I, I'm kind of belaboring the point. What's the big deal there? The big deal is when we look at Jesus and observe something, if he says something, we'll see it in just a second. It's the father doing something. It's, it, and when, when he acts a certain way. So um, I remember teaching a long time ago about what is the father's attitude towards adultery. Well, the father's attitude towards adultery is he hates it. And it's a sin. What is the father's attitude towards adulterers or adulteresses? Well, he loves them and he does not condemn them. And we know that because Jesus revealed that in the story in Luke. Where are those who condemn you? There are none, Lord, neither do I. Go and send no more. What does the father uh, think about leprosy? He thinks it's a cancer on a society. He thinks it's something that has to be sequestered or healed. I mean, that's what he thinks about the, the disease itself. What does he think about lepers? Well, Jesus settled that question right at the very first chapter of Mark. If you're willing, you can make me heal. I am willing. And he reached out, and he did the one thing you were not supposed to do. He touched him. So we learn what the Father is doing, seeing, and thinking, not by gleaning the Old Testament and creating a systematic theology about it, but by looking at Jesus and believing it in the face of evidence to the contrary. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Keep in mind that it's the Father who has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, or from the domain of darkness, to the kingdom of the Son of His love. Okay? There's a million other scriptures. We're going to cover a couple of them in the next two weeks. So now, John 14.10, and there's a bunch of others that we could have gone, and I didn't actually get to 14.20, so I'll just apologize for that now and say this is the revelation that Jesus is in his Father, we're in him, and he's in us. But it says to Philip, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. Now, this is even more explicit than the last one. So when you read the red letters in your Bible... Those are not originating with Jesus alone. They are originating with Jesus in union, perfect union with his Father. They are not expressing Jesus' opinion alone. They are an expression of what we talked about a few weeks ago as the logos, as God's idea and vision of something. So the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So I don't fully understand the mystery of this connection. But when Jesus says thus and so, the father is doing thus and so. When the Jesus said, I am willing, the father was expressing his desire to touch and heal the leper. You see what I'm saying? So these words are not things to make doctrine out of, the red ones in your Bible. They're, they're words to understand the truth and the nature of the Father's heart, okay? And, and these words become the language and the nuance and the inflection of Sonnees. Uh, where, where are those that condemn you? Uh, no, Lord, there are none. Neither do I. So neither do I. It's an idiom in Sunnis speaking of the Father's heart regarding condemnation. And again, if I had time, we'd go through verses where the Father judges no one, da-da-da-da, Jesus has really revealed a very specific image of our Father. Okay, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Now, the part of this that I want you to really, really emphasize uh, is this idea that when we hear Jesus, the Father's working. Uh, so, do, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding me does his work. So now I'm gonna tell you a story that I heard at the conference. And um, I want you to think of it in those terms because uh, there's, there's no mention of the Father in this story. It's all about Jesus. But every word and every action of Jesus that this person had in this encounter, everyone, is an absolutely transparent and accurate, crystal clear revelation of the Father. Okay? So here's the story. Um, I got some notes so I don't miss any parts and then I have a part of it that I, I got some notes so I don't miss any part and then I have a part that I transcribe. All right, so uh, Brad Jerzak, um, some of you might know who Brad is, you can look him up, (laughs) bradjerzak.com. Brad Jerzak pastors up in uh, uh, Canada, and he is a growing expert on uh, patristic fathers, and he's just a good guy, I like him a lot. Had a chance to meet him a couple times, had a chance to spend some time with him at this conference. Uh, He and Paul Young were sharing a session, and you guys know who Paul Young is, guy that wrote the shack, Eve and Crossroads. So many, many years ago, Brad was engaged in an internship to, help people with, uh, that are profoundly, profoundly broken. Usually through really, really, really extreme kinds of of trauma and stuff. So several years ago, he was traveling around doing this internship, and this is where he met a woman named Jackie, and they told us that that Jackie had given permission to share this story, which is why I'm at liberty to do so. Uh, So he was, was, uh, you know, usually, usually these people that are deeply, deeply broken like this, It has to do with trauma, and very, very often that trauma has to do with sexual abuse or something like that. And so this was the case. Uh, um, Jackie had suffered from a very, very young age uh, of molestation and rape by the hands of her father. And it went on, as you'll see in just a second, for years and years. Brad was invited into the the sessions that this gal was teaching, and, and not teaching, he was there as an intern, she was helping this woman, Jackie, and uh, began to witness her, uh, the various coping mechanisms. By the time she was a teenager, she had turned to drugs, and alcohol, to try to numb that. Um, but uh, early in her life, as early as about five years old, she began to disassociate personalities. And so she had a little five-year-old girl personality named Eve. Her name was Jackie. There were others as well, but uh, these were the two prominent ones. So Brad, in the course of this, like I say many years ago, uh, he said, I actually became better friends with Eve than I did Jackie. But he's been involved in in their life for a long time. Eve started out, uh, uh, she's five years old, and she was the place that all the demonic anger and, and twisting was but for some reason or another that personality was such that uh, she was able to make progress and Brad kind of fixed on that and kept encouraging her to get to know Jesus and finally after not a terribly long time but a couple of years or something like that from what it sounded like this little Eve part of Jackie fell in love with Jesus just deeply in love and Brad said, so over the course of the years, any time I get a phone call or I get a message, if it's from Eve, I really trust it. And he said, I can't tell you how many times she shared things that she had encountered with God, with Jesus in particular, that just would make me weep. So that's the situation. Jackie had been making a lot of progress, and uh, she'd, she's been off drugs and everything completely clean and sober for over a year when this incident happened a few months ago. Or, yeah. So anyway, what happened was, she was perusing through Facebook. Oh, oh I didn't tell you the rest of the story. So so, uh, molestation from five, and uh, then her dad got her pregnant twice in her teens, and took her to have abortion both times. All right. So, um, she's perusing through uh, Facebook, and sees uh, a, a very vivid, graphic, aggressive, uh, evangelical, fundamentalist kind of protest against abortion. And it came complete with YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. Well, this absolutely triggered her, almost to the point of, of relapse. And she was close to doing that, and she just wanted to die. So she called Brad. and. Jackie, Jackie, yeah. And uh, so so Jackie called Brad and Brad and Paul were ministering up in Washington someplace. And uh, Brad took a break and, and took this phone call, which turned out to be about a two hour phone call. But try as he might, he could not persuade Jackie to go to Jesus. And uh, um, she was basically saying goodbye. She was saying she was probably gonna end her life she didn't want to keep going on, there was no excuse for what she did, there was no way, she was so ashamed. Just, and he says, you have gotta go to Jesus, you have gotta go to Jesus. Now, there was an interlude there where he explained that he had been doing, uh, working with her for years, and in the process, he realized that he was kind of addicted to management and fixing people. So he had to learn that it wasn't his job to come up with specific answers, and so he began, to just send her to, to Jesus. And it wasn't that she had never gone, it was just that she was too ashamed this time to go. And uh, so, he explained, you know, I, I, I've long since stopped calling the police when she threatened or stopped calling that or the other. And I suppose you have to have discernment to do that. But he said, we just really have to honor people's right to make choices. Because her dad never did. And, and so, uh, that was, it was interesting, it was really good for me to hear. And um, so after that little interlude, they got back to the phone call and it's about a two hour conversation and it basically signed off that I'm done. I, 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 I don't wanna move forward, I can't move forward. And uh, I, you know, Brad, thank you, but I, I'm, I'm done. So two minutes later, the phone rings again and it's Eve. And Eve says, Brad, please don't give up on us. And Brad said, but honey, he said, Jackie won't go to Jesus. She says, I know, and I I don't know what to do. And then Brad said, well, I know, Eve. You go to Jesus. You can go to Jesus. You go and ask Jesus how you can help Jackie come to him. She goes, okay. He says, "Can you do that?" She says, "I'll, I'll try. I'll do that." All right. So that was just a short conversation. It's over. Uh, I. I think they said it was about two hours because they had a, a whole ministry session, and everything, and they they get done with that, and uh, Brad gets a text from Jackie. Okay. So, let me, uh, and I transcribe this because I want it. I want you to hear it exactly. So Paul was reading this to us. And so this it starts with Jackie speaking. I went to Jesus. And I I literally fell to my knees and sobbed. I couldn't look at him. He put his hand at the back of my head as I crouched on the floor. And he said, look at my eyes. And I said, I can't. I did the worst thing someone could ever do. He said, look up. I have something to show you. So I finally looked up, and on Jesus' lap sat two little girls who were about two years old. They were dressed in different colors, but their dresses were the same, baby shake and lavender. They looked like me when I was that age, only way more beautiful. And their eyes shone with joy and peace. He told me that their names were joy and love. I asked, is that them? And he said, yes. They grew, but never passed two. They seem to like to be at this age, and they're always together, always. They don't know pain, and they never have. I cried, and I cried, and I said, how is that possible after what I did to them? And Jesus says, you did nothing wrong. And then Jackie said, yes, I did. I hurt them, and I killed them. He said, you didn't kill them, I saved them. Before they felt pain, I took them from your womb and they have been with me ever since. And then Jackie said, but I made the decision to kill them. And he said, you were in the most painful time of your life. You didn't decide to kill them, I chose to take them. It was my choice. I knew one day you would find this out and would have to come talk. I always knew you would come to me no matter how ashamed you were. I know you love me, and I'm the Savior of your soul. He said, I want you to love yourself. You're too hard on yourself. You forget what suffering you were living under every day. I'm pleased you come to me. You don't ever have to be afraid. And I said, please forgive me, Jesus. And he said, there is not one thing you need forgiveness from. Not one thing. Now come and meet our precious little ones. So I touched their little hands, and I kissed their little cheeks, and then they got up and ran away carefree with some angels. And Jesus said, Come to me. Climb upon my lap and let me love you. Cry on my robe. I will heal your broken heart. I am sorry for what you went through. I know and I have always loved you. I have loved you every single day. So cry now, but don't cry for the babies or from shame. Cry to forgive yourself. And I will show you and help you to see your true, beautiful and loving heart. I am proud of you and I love you always. And when you're done crying, you will see over time that all is well. You will be able to feel it and accept it. And the hatred you feel for yourself will drift away my gift to you is anytime you want to see one of your babies you can come to me and we'll play together all you have to do is ask and please thank eve she led you to me and thank brad for his undying faith in me that encouraged you to continually come to me he also has been a gift to you and eve and i sobbed thank you my jesus thank you my jesus So that rocked the house, as you might guess. And I just was, you know, even if you got the email that, that I sent out earlier, I just said, this will just tear your heart up. And I was just thinking in terms of how good Jesus was, how good Jesus was, how good Jesus was. And then all of a sudden when it dawns on me that it's Father's Day, that this was the father being a father to her that her dad could never be, obviously. And healing the wound that her father had created. And, uh, you know, you can wrestle. We can. I'm big on this. We can wrestle through the theological implications of all these things. And if we were foolish, we could sit in judgment on whether she needed to, be forgiven or not for something, but I'm not gonna take sides against this revelation of the Father's heart through Jesus in this woman's life. And when I was reading it there, I thought, gosh, I hope everybody remembers. This isn't a story that some preacher made up. This is a woman on the verge of taking her own life in the most pain that she had ever experienced in the recovery process because it was something that she took personal responsibility for that was beyond her ability to, 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 to carry. And this is her, writing down what Jesus did and said for her and to her and with her. And this is why it's worth going through the details about who our father is. Why it's worth not just saying, now two weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, I was trying to talk to you guys about sovereignty and why I didn't think, why we need to change the way we think about it. And, uh, I mentioned that it misrepresents God because it assigns moral choices to random authority and sovereignty. But this morning I I, I got a better connection for it. Vick and I were driving down and I asked her and I'll ask you this question. Think back in all your life in discussions about doctrine, particularly about sovereignty. Have you ever heard the word sovereignty coupled in a phrase or a sentence with the word Father. And as best as I've ever thought in my 40 years of listening to Bible teaching, I've never heard it. It's always God or God. I've never heard anybody attach the concept of sovereignty to Father. Does that tell you something? Is our Father sovereign? Absolutely, He is. He chose to meet this woman, this child. He is sovereign, but we don't ever think of it that way. I want us to revolutionize the way we think. We have a good father. And that says it, but it doesn't say at all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, I do believe there's an entirety. When we read in the scripture, and and a writer as careful as John uses the word theos, and it's translated God um, properly, I, I understand that there's more to just the individuality of the person of the Father in the Trinity. It's the whole of the Trinity being talked about. But that's a classic illustration of what I was trying to say that sovereignty doesn't tell us why God does something God chose to send his son as a father that's the context of the sending of Jesus God chose to redeem us as our father God chose to bring us into life as our father and we see Jesus working it out and the only people that he ran into a lot of trouble with was people who knew neither the Father, nor him. But they had a picture of God in their head that filled their space. I think that's what Paul's talking about in Second Corinthians 10 and spiritual warfare when he says we're to cast down vain imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowing of God. Because if the imagination of who God is is one of these omni-beings way out there, drawing its identity from images of Zeus or Gandalf or Odin, then rejoice because you haven't even considered God yet. And the minute you do, in the eyes, in the face of Jesus, as is, is, is that's reflecting back on us, you're going to learn two things. You're going to learn who your father is, and you're going to begin to learn who you are because we are reflected in him. So we have a few minutes if anybody wants to make a comment or ask a question. And if not, I've got Laurel and perhaps some of the band members set up to close us out with singing Good, Good Father for Tim. Do you want to get to the mic then? Yeah, go to the mic. No, that mic right there. We haven't been offended all day yet, Ray, so it's okay. Well, the Lord is showing me that he says when he says he puts all things under his feet, Mm -hmm. that means he accepts that which he put under his feet. Okay, yeah. And the other part is that all things go through God and all things go back to God. That's what it says. So. That's the main thing I wanted to say. Praise God. No. Anybody offended over that? Good. I don't think so. Anybody else? Yeah, Tim. Go ahead and get ready,
1: Laurel. You know what you're talking about with the story is uh, so real. Uh, Meg and I are working with a young couple that are going to get ready to get married here, and uh, we met with them the first time on Friday night for marriage prep, and You know, uh, nobody knows who this couple is, so I can safely say that she was really hurting. The first night, you know, we look at their biography, and and of course you see something about sexual abuse or something went on. Well, this gal was emotionally, physically, verbally abused by her mother and has been up until now. Um, And then by a cousin, she was uh, molested and then a date rape and you know and her heart was pouring out to us you know and i think the thing that meant the most to her is you know she'd already gone to god about this situation but you know both meg and i said to her you know if nobody's ever told you this we're sorry this ever happened yeah. to you yeah and we're sorry that you've gone through this but it's all a part of the healing process. When somebody is abused at such a young age, and then you know again, uh, you know, raped in a, in a date situation, it's really tough. I don't think any of us can, unless you've been through it, could really imagine how that deals with your mind and your emotions and, the, and your and whole your worth. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: good. The reason I I transcribed this is I really wanted to get accurate because I I didn't want to misrepresent what Jesus was saying, but I will tell you that I was sitting at the table, and when he got to the part where he says, look, and there's these two little girls, and then he said, you didn't kill them, I took them. Uh, I I just had this picture of her her saying, but I killed them, and him going, obviously you didn't. Here they are. I mean, (laughs) life is so much more than we know if we're not careful to look. So go ahead and read us.